Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. It is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from sins. Maccabees 12.46 The Requiem Prayer Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Welcome to Born of Wonder. On this podcast, we explore everything and anything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. And today we are meditating on graveyards, some memento mori here uh, for the month of October as we approach All Hallowtide, the triduum of All Hallows Eve, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. And then we enter into uh, November, which is actually the real month of the dead. Uh, the, it is the month of praying for praying for the holy souls. Uh, so really, even if you don't get enough um, sort of graveyard time, if you don't get through all the spooky October reads that you had in mind, just know that November is a perfectly appropriate time for that. So um, so that is what we are going to be talking about today. I introduced uh, the podcast with uh, with the famous requiem prayer, a beautiful prayer to, uh, to pray when somebody dies, to pray in graveyards, and then some Gregorian chant uh, of that prayer in Latin. Uh, just beautiful, I think. So I've always really liked graveyards. I never really found them creepy. Um, uh, maybe, maybe I did in like sort of a thrilling way. You know, I always sort of liked uh, macabre things. Um, I don't like scary things in that I don't like uh, gore or violence, but I love um, sort of eerie stories. I love a good gothic novel, things like that. Um, so I think that 
graveyards always seemed uh, sort of romantic to me. Um, you know, uh, if you think of like sort of the beginning of Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff sort of trying to crawl into Kathy's grave, which is just wildly disturbing. But I'm sort of picturing these, um, you know, wild, uh, wild moors and these windswept graves and sort of, you know, lost loves and, you know, who knows what sort of tragedies and amazing lives that were lived by these sort of uh, withered away gravestones. That's what I always am imagining. And I, if I ever come across, especially like a historic graveyard, I would, I just love to wander around there for hours. I'd lo look at all the, you know, the dates and the names and wonder who these people were. Um, even more, you know, uh, recent graveyards, I find them very um, sort of pensive and thought provoking and beautiful. And um, yeah, we went to college at St. Mary's College of Maryland, which is on the St. Mary's River. It's an incredibly beautiful place, and uh, there is a old cemetery that is just jutting out uh, sort of rather dramatically over the St. Mary's River. And it's, uh, you know, a place where students hang out. There are benches there, people study there, people have picnics there. There's, um, you know, there's something called the Seven Wonders of St. Mary's, and one of them is called the Hidden Grave because there's a grave that's uh, you know, sort of, you have to kind of crawl under a bush to even find it. And there are some very old graves there. Um, and so I, you know, have lots of memories of sort of just casually hanging out in this graveyard. Uh, so again, graveyards not, not seeming so creepy to me, but just more, um, a sort of oddly comforting places. So I don't know if that's where you're coming from or not. Um, of course, when I was little, I think I, me and my friends would always do the tradition of holding your breath when you passed a graveyard. There are many <laughs> origins of uh, why people would do that. Some say it's because the the spirits will be jealous of your breath, the 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 you know most obvious and foundational sign of life, and uh, will try to snatch it away from you. Um, maybe you will breathe in some bad or restless spirits. There are all kinds of <laughs> sort of odd superstitions around graveyards, um, but uh, I think that there it's actually very very healthy to go visit uh, graveyards, um, whether to visit your own. Uh, relatives or you know friends or anybody you know who's passed away uh, or strangers uh, just just to be in that place where we sort of can meet the reality um, uh, the reality of death in sort of a quiet contemplative moment uh, you know graveyards are often in beautiful locations uh, you know meadows and churchyards and um just lovely places there's there's a there's a churchyard near here that's a it's a couple mile walk um and a quick drive uh but it's a beautiful spot i mean it's it's overlooking sort of the, all the countryside and i love to go there i love to take friends there <laughs> and uh you know to show them the views but again just to sort of be in this incredibly peaceful location so i want to encourage you this october to go and find a graveyard and to spend some time there and to uh and to pray the requiem prayer and i'm also going to introduce you to three poems today um, that uh that sort of are famous graveyard poems uh that that sort of celebrate different aspects sort of of what sort of comes to a person's mind when they are in that uh in, in that place memento mori contemplating remembering that we all must die so i'm going to introduce you to, to those poems maybe you could read them while you're at the graveyard and uh think some some big memento mori thoughts yourself 
a very good thing to sit and pray for the souls in purgatory, uh, pray for the pray for the faithful departed. Very, very good thing to do as we hear in Maccabees. Um, yeah, a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the, for the dead. So um, a good thing to do uh, now in the month of October and all year long, of course, but um, especially this time of year, we remember to do that. So I hope you are enjoying fall. It's a beautiful fall. Uh, just just so grateful for it. Just I'm loving it so much. And I hope you are too. Uh, just a reminder that you can contact me anytime at bornofwonder.com. Uh, just go to the contact me page. And while you're online, please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes um, with a comment. That would be so great. Uh, in Spotify, you can leave a star rating. And uh, of course, if you want to become a patron, $2 a month, um, that is so unbelievably appreciated. It is vital to this podcast happening. Um, it also keeps me accountable. Um, you know, I, I, I try to take this quite seriously. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I take seriously that people are willing to <laughs> spend money because they listen to this podcast. I mean, that really, um, makes me, uh, feel, feel obligated in a good way to, uh, continue, with, uh, with this work, if it's bringing you any good things in your life, I, I so appreciate that. So you can follow the link in the show notes to the Patreon page, uh, or just go to the website. You can find it there too. So I'm going to, the first poem I'm going to introduce you to is a short poem by Robert Frost called In a Disused Graveyard. The living come with grassy tread to read the gravestones on the hill. The graveyard draws the living still, but never any more the dead. The verses in it say and say, the ones who living come today to read the stones and go away, tomorrow dead will come to stay. So sure of death the marbles rhyme, yet can't help marking all the time. How no one dead will seem to come, what is it men are shrinking from? It would be easy to be clever and tell the stones, men hate to die and have stopped dying now forever. I think they would believe the lie. So I think that's actually, it's sort of a, a cute poem actually about graveyards. The idea here being that this is a graveyard that has fallen into disuse. Uh, there are no more new gravestones going up. There's no more new graves, but people are coming to visit um, their friends and relatives. And uh, but, but there's no more stones coming up and the stones in the graveyard are wondering what is going on because all these headstones seem to be reminding people that they too will die and yet no one else is being buried. So I guess people just don't die anymore so it's sort of a simple little poem but it's uh it's you know in the Robert Frost way has a very sort of pleasing rhythm to it and a very nice rhyme and it's um just sort of paints a very nice picture of this little disused graveyard that is um, feeling a bit confused about where all the dead people are <laughs> This next poem is uh, is a lot bleaker, uh, and it's by uh, one of my favorite poets, Sylvia Plath, called "The Moon and the Yew Tree." It's one of her more famous poems, and it it it, it paints a rather um, stark image. It has a lot of sort of startling imagery in it, and uh, and and the conclusion is rather disturbing. Um, it's it's a rather sort of um, wild nihilistic vision she has. But I think it um, it really paints an image of this of this graveyard and uh, 
and the the sort of black yew tree against this sort of um, cold light of the moon. So I, I want you to sort of picture yourself there when you're um, listening to this poem, uh, but because I think it's it's a very thought-provoking one. The Moon and the Yew Tree by Sylvia Plath. This is the light of the mind, cold and planetary. The trees of the mind are black, the light is blue. The grasses unload their griefs at my feet as if I were God, prickling my ankles and murmuring of their humility. Fumy, spiritous mists inhabit this place, separated from my house by a row of headstones. I simply cannot see where there is to get to. The moon is no door, it is a face in its own right, white as a knuckle and terribly upset. It drags the sea after it like a dark crime. It is quiet with the O gape of complete despair. I live here. Twice on Sunday, the bells startle the sky, eight great tongues affirming the resurrection. At the end, they soberly bong out their names. The yew tree points up. It has a gothic shape. The eyes lift after it and find the moon. The moon is my mother. She is not sweet like Mary. Her blue garments unloose small bats and owls. How I would like to believe in tenderness, the face of the effigy, gentled by candles, bending on me in particular, its mild eyes. I have fallen a long way. Clouds are flowering, blue and mystical over the face of the stars. Inside the church, the saints will be all blue, floating on their delicate feet over cold pews, their hands and faces stiff with holiness. The moon sees nothing of this. She is bald and wild, and the message of the yew tree is blackness, blackness and silence. So like I said, a rather sort of bleak poem from Sylvia Plath, but with so much just rich imagery and uh, startling descriptions, you know, um, even even just this image of the church inside the church, the saints will be all blue, floating their delicate feet over cold pews. And uh, if you know anything about Sylvia Plath, um, she actually, she, you know, she wasn't, uh, you know, a, a Christian. She was not religious, but she uh, longed to be um, much of her life and would try to join different churches, this one included, and uh, sort of had this incredible yearning for um, for religiosity, had a very sort of religious uh, personality, but couldn't quite find her way uh, home to the church. So you, it's sort of heartbreaking to hear of, of the, you know, how I would like to believe in tenderness, the face of the effigy, gentle by candles, bending on me in particular, its mild eyes, and sort of this um, contrast of Mary with the moon um, and how she sees the moon as her mother, not Mary, uh, which is very interesting because of course, uh, people like Ar Archbishop Fulton Sheen would talk about Mary as the moon because she has no light of her own own, uh, just like the moon doesn't, but reflects the sun. So the moon reflecting the S-U-N and Mary reflecting the S-O-N, so, which I always thought was a very beautiful way to think of it. So maybe Sylvia, um, in, in finding sort of this image in the moon, although she found it a sort of disturbing image, maybe what she was seeking there was Mary after all, I don't know. But um, 
I think that's a really beautiful poem. And if you'd like to learn more about my own experience with Sylvia Plath, I wrote a very long essay about her on on um, on uh, the blog, which I will link to. I think I'm also going to be re-airing uh, one of my personal favorite episodes about the how uh, being haunted by Sylvia Plath that includes a lot of her reading her own poetry and I explain a lot of her biography and why we should pray for the dead and pray for people like Sylvia Plath and why I offer mass for her. So uh, so that could be coming up soon, but um, I'm, I'm happy to introduce you to that, to that wonderful poem, The Moon and the Yew Tree. So the last poem I want to uh, read to you is a sort of the most famous graveyard poem. Uh, it's it's a bit long, a bit longer than the others I've read, but I do want to read it in full. And I'd encourage you to look it up if you're going to go do sort of a graveyard pilgrimage. You could read it out loud or read it to yourself there while you're sort of sitting and pondering. I think it's it is a beautiful poem. It's by Thomas Gray, English poet from the 1700s, elegy written in a country churchyard. So uh, he wrote this, I, w I want you to picture this church. It's the Church of St. Giles in Buckinghamshire, England. And I'll link a picture to it. It's sort of an old uh, old stone church, sort of typical English looking church um, with very sort of washed out looking gravestones at this point. Um, but uh, you can sort of just picture yourself there on a gray day with sort of an English, uh, you know, maybe a, a drizzling rain and some wind as you um, meditate on, on these graves. And uh, Thomas Gray sort of, he's thinking about, um, it, it's, a, it's a very rural location. So he's thinking about sort of these anonymous, um, anonymous people uh, who, who are there and the sort of relatively small lives they led and what uh, what sort of their mortality means uh, to him and to them. And uh, he sort of wraps it up with a very nice little epitaph. He raises a lot of questions and then sort of wraps it up with this very nice little epitaph that maybe you find satisfactory, maybe you don't. Um, many, many famous lines in this poem uh, that would be used for other famous works far from the madding crowd being one of them. So keep an ear out for that. But I will go ahead and read to you now Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard by Thomas Gray. The curfew tolls the knell of parting day. The lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lay. The plowman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. Now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight, and on the air a solemn stillness holds, save where the beetle wheels his droning flight, and drowsy tinklings lull the distant folds. Save that from yonder ivy-mantled tower the moping owl does to the moon complain, of such as wandering near her secret bower molest her ancient solitary reign. Beneath these rugged elms that yew trees shade, where heaves the turf in many a moldering heap, each in his narrow cell forever laid, the rude forefathers of the hamlet sleep. The breezy call of incense-breathing morn, the swallow twittering from the straw-built shed, the cock's shrill clarion or the echoing horn, no more shall rouse them from their lowly bed. For them no more the blazing hearth shall burn, or busy housewife ply her evening care, no children run to lisp their sire's return, or climb his knees the envied kiss to share. 
Off did the harvest to their sickle yield, their furrow off the stubborn glebe has broke. How jocund did they drive their team afield, how bowed the woods beneath their steady stroke. Let not ambition mock their useful toil, their homely joys and destiny obscure, nor grandeur here with a disdainful smile, the short and simple annals of the poor. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Nor you, ye proud, impute these to the fault, if memory o'er their tomb no trophies raise, where through the long-drawn aisle and fretted vault the pealing anthem swells the note of praise. Can storied urn or animated bust back to its mansion call the fleeting breath? Can honor's voice provoke the silent dust of, or flattery soothe the dull, cold ear of death? Perhaps in this neglected spot is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire, hands that the rod of empire might have swayed, or wake to ecstasy the living lyre. But knowledge to their eyes her ample page, rich with the spoils of time, did ne'er unroll. Chill penury repressed their noble rage, and froze the genial current of the soul. Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark unfathomed caves of ocean bear, Full many a flower is born to blush unseen, and waste its sweetness on the desert air. Some village Hamden, that with dauntless breast the little tyrant of this field withstood, some mute inglorious Milton here may rest, some Cromwell guiltless of his country's blood. The applause of listening senates to command, the threats of pain and ruin to despise, to scatter plenty o'er smiling land, and read their history in a nation's eyes. Their lot forbade, nor circumscribed alone, their growing virtues, but their crimes confined, forbade to wade through slaughter to a throne, and shut the gates of mercy on my mankind. The struggling pangs of conscious truth to hide, to quench the blushes of ingenious shame, or heap the shrine of luxury and pride with incense kindled at the muse's flame. Far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife, their sober wishes never learned to stray. Along the cool, sequestered vale of life, they kept the noiseless tenor of their way. Yet even these bones from insult to protect, some frail memorial still erected nigh, with uncouth rhymes and shapeless sculpture decked, implores the passing tribute of a sigh. Their name, their years, spelt by the unlettered muse, the place of fame and elegy supply, and many a holy text around she strews, that teach the rustic moralist to die. For who to dumb forgetfulness a prey, this pleasing anxious being e'er resigned, left the warm precincts of the cheerful day, nor cast one longing lingering look behind? On some fond breast the parting soul relies, some pious drops the closing eye requires. Even from the tomb the voice of nature cries, even in our ashes live their wanted fires. For thee, who mindful of the honored, unhonored dead, dost in these lines their artless tale relate. If by chance, by lonely contemplation led, some kindred spirit shall inquire thy fate, Haply some hoary-headed swain may say, Oft we have seen him at the peep of dawn, Brushing with hasty steps the dews away, To meet upon the upland lawn. 
There at the foot of yonder nodding beach that wreathes its old fantastic roots so high, his listless length at noontide would he stretch and pour upon the brook that babbles by. Hard by yon wood, now smiling as in scorn, muttering his wayward fancies he would rove, now drooping woeful wan like one forlorn or crazed with care or crossed in hopeless love. One morn I missed him on the customed hill, along the heath and near his favorite tree. Another came, nor yet beside the rill, nor up the lawn, nor at the wood was he. The next with dirges due in sad array, slow through the churchway path we saw him borne. Approach and read, for thou canst read, the lay, graved on the stone beneath yon aged thorn. The Epitaph Here rests his head upon the lap of earth, a youth to fortune and to fame unknown. Fair science frowned not on his humble birth, and melancholy marked him for her own. Large was his bounty, and his soul sincere. Heaven did a recompense as largely send. He gave to misery all he had, a tear. He gained from heaven, t'was all he wished, a friend. No farther seek his merits to disclose, or draw his frailties from their dread abode. There they alike in trembling hope repose, the bosom of his father and his God. So I know that was a long reading, um, but I did want to read it in full. Hopefully you didn't zone out too much. <laughs> um, but, you know, I encourage you to go read it yourself so you can sort of meditate on these themes. And because uh, sometimes, I mean, these things are really nice to read aloud, but I know some of the details can be lost. But um, maybe you heard that there's a yew tree there. We know, so I mean, Sylvia Plath would have been very familiar with this poem. I'm sure she was sort of... Uh, that, that she was very aware that she was writing in the tradition. This was her, you know, Moon in the Yew Tree was her graveyard poem. Um, this was her churchyard poem. Um, we hear uh, lots of, like I said, famous lines in there. Um, and and we we see this theme, you know, so, sort of the dance macabre. Everybody dances their way to death, right? Um, kings and peasants alike. And uh, Thomas Gray here sort of... Um, chastises anybody who would think less of these sort of simple folk and their graves because he says you know circumstances um kept them sort of in a, in a small simple life but you don't know if there was a, a great milton-esque poet down here or 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 a cromwell you know some great politician uh that just never had sort of their chance to shine you don't know sort of the um the incredible uh, talents that lay uh, beneath these simple graves, maybe from people who were completely illiterate. He sort of refers to the uh, very simple verses on the on the on the gravestones, and then of course sort of ends uh, ends with um, saying, "Well, what will people say about him and, and who he was?" And he sort of imagines people explaining how they all hit, always saw him wandering the graveyard in the morning and. Uh, and then sort of, you know, he stopped coming one day and he has uh, sort of tied with a bow there, a nice epitaph for himself. Um, again, just sort of resting in the mercy of God. So it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely poem. It's, it's sort of the quintessential perfect graveyard churchyard poem. So I encourage you to go read it. So I hope this uh, little episode gave you some encouragement to uh, go hang out in graveyards. Perfectly valid, normal thing to do, <laughs> and uh, and and just meditate on these themes um, during this you know sort of introspective, spooky time of year. 
Uh, my recommendation today is is a song by the Hillbilly Thomas. Maybe you've heard of them. They are a band of friars of the Order of the Preachers, and they are from the uh, Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and they are these wonderful friars that play bluegrass music, and I just love them. I think they're wonderful. And their latest album, I, I love a lot of the songs on it. It's um, it's called uh, Holy Ghost Power. And this particular song is called Sweet Prospect. And I think it's, uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's actually a good, it's a, it's a good theme actually for a mortality themed episode, I think. Um, but it's just a very sort of haunting melody. Um, but I just wanted to sort of introduce you to them in general. I'll put a link to their website uh, in the show notes and you can look them up. Again, the Hillbilly Thomas, they took this, uh, they took their name, which I think is so great from a Flannery O'Connor quote. Flannery O'Connor said, everybody who has read Wise Blood thinks I'm a Hillbilly Nihilist, whereas I'm a Hillbilly Thomist. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, so I hope you enjoy and uh, I wish you um, good fall weather and, um, you know, wholesome spooky things and time in graveyards and good poetry and hot tea and coffee and all those wonderful things. So, all right, until next time, I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. Oh uh...
that rises to my side. Sweet fields arrayed in living green, and rivers of It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>